This podcast is sponsored by Untapped. Untapped is about working with organisations to develop a sustainable, neurodiverse employment ecosystem. How fantastic is that? This includes the Neurodiversity Hub to assist students become more work-ready and increase their chances of securing a job. Neil Alexander Passe is the Head of Additional Education Needs and Special Education Needs Coordinator at the East Barnett School in the UK. He has published 10 books and 10 peer-reviewed papers on dyslexia and mental health, including The Successful Dyslexic. I am a big fan of Neil's work, following him on LinkedIn and learning all about his research, and I'm so pleased to have him on the show today. Thank you so much, Neil, for coming on the show my morning, your evening in the UK. Yes. Could you please tell me a little bit about yourself and what life was like for you growing up? Growing up in the 1970s and early 80s, uh, dyslexia was fairly new. uh, So it wasn't that that well well known. It's seen as a a, um, excuse for middle-class pet parents for their children uh just not uh, doing well well in school so i grew up with within that mindset of of parents but i was lucky to find art i was uh, fairly good good at art uh and so so that uh, led me to to my first career as a graphic designer so so my my own salvation was finding something i was good good at and that and that was um see art and design so i left school with very few um see o, o levels or um see gcse's as as they are uh, uh, known and now and I went to art college. So, so you, using my uh, strengths rather than my obviously difficulties. And so, were your parents very supportive of you growing up and focusing more on the arts? Uh, my parents were were very supportive. I was sent sent to to various tutors who were in in fact just repeating all the failed uh, teaching from. For my school schooling, so so that didn't uh, go go well, and and my school career w- wasn't v- very easy. I was as I changed uh, schools many, many times. I was even sent by a bus uh, for I think third thirty minutes um, uh, a day a j- journey in my in my late primary school to a special school where they try tried to support my needs but but yes with the art they were i think relieved that just that uh, i i had uh, found some, something i was good, good at and that was was a, a second relief when when it it moved to a career as a graphic designer you're a very well-known researcher in the field of dyslexia. How did you transfer your skills across from graphic design into research? Because that's such a hard area to work in. Okay, around around these time, I was th- thirty. I suppose I was get, getting married, and and uh, I was concerned my own children could could be dys- dyslexic. So I began to do re- research, re- really. For them, so that I, I was better prepared, 
as I was sure sure that they that they would be severely dis dyslexic, similar to me, and would obviously have a a very difficult schooling. I've got four children, and and none of them are dis dyslexic. So so in some ways, my wife is is very pleased because they they are fairly uh, good good at school and and obviously have done well there but but for me just not uh, having uh, dys, dyslexia it isn't a link it's the opposite of a link but that they uh, some uh, some at times don't get me i find them uh, sw- swanning through school school and, and obviously homework very weird so so i began to to get get into research for them however none of them are dis, <laughs> dyslexic i've got two sets sets of twins so so it's a bit busy life but none of them are and and so so i began to publish the the re- research and and all my books are a reflection of my own life so so the first book book is on on dyslexia and depression is because growing up in uh primary school i was uh, quite depressed as a young child and then uh, the the second one looked at dating marriage and also relationships so that is uh i went through uh the, the next one was on creativity i i made creative person working graphic design or did so that reflected me and the last ones have have been on success as that is something also reflected with within me so you've gone through the whole journey which is really fascinating but also fascinating that none of your children have dyslexia and you've dedicated your life in this space (laughs) (laughs) yes but in saying that, uh, if they have children, they, they could possibly be dyslexic and then all your research will be put to good use within your family. <laughs> True, yes. I mean, I am looking at why, at why um, there are no dyslexic children and I'm looking at the and see di- different causes, one of them being genetic, another one is illness within the, the first five years. And, and so for me having... Um, see, Gluir was the reason for my dyslexia. So I, I believe that, that my form of dyslexia it isn't an um, genetic. There is research I need to do to um, see, support that theory. So you think your dyslexia was acquired rather than being uh, yes. born with it. So are there any people in your family that have dyslexia? Uh, my my cousin, my first cousin, shows shows some um, traits traits of it, but apart from that, none. Because in in my family, it's very strongly genetic. We think it's from my dad, but my brother right. has it, and my nephew has it as well. So there's a lot of us. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so what right. And, and all all of you get one another, and that that is amazing. Some something within my my research uh, t- talking to, to many dyslexics uh, one of them said that at, at uni they uh, they were in a house full of dyslexic uh, peers or uh, friends friends and they they've got their own 
uh, and secret lang language. Sometimes <laughs> they they don't need need to say certain things because all of them get get it. Yeah, well, we didn't know. I found out when I was twenty seven. So I think we we've just Gosh. started to in the last few years since I've had my journey of dyslexia and starting to do my research that my dad and brother and I have, have formed a separate kind of bond around being dyslexic and we have our we do have our own dyslexic jokes. Yeah, just one that a fam family uh, who I know where where the the father is severely dyslexic featured with within my uh, book uh, with four severely dys dyslexic ch children his wife Strange enough, Abusati married his wife as he thought that marrying a non-dyslexic would would uh, some somehow prevent him him get getting dis dyslexic ch children. Well, that didn't work. But she she feels more more like a, a muggle uh, using the uh, Harry Potter language. Uh, because she she feels the the total outsider to the family, it's quite a weird, really. So, is that in your family? Do you feel a bit no, like no. the outsider? Uh, sometimes, yes, yes. Some sometimes, yes. It's because they are all very bright uh, kids. They're doing science, and who knows where that science skills come from? It is. It isn't from. For me and it isn't from for my wife so so yes that they, they are all very science based mm, interesting <laughs> mm. another paper for you to write have you found oh, yes. did you find um the research journey hard i've found it very frustrating at times and quite challenging i think there is a certain lang language uh you need to write in their their way so to, uh, you you need they want you to uh, reference your uh, work and and to uh, write write in a very strange lang language and they they are not that just that forgiving to those who who are dyslexic um, and the idea that they want you to to write down all your pros process journeys where where a dys dyslexic will go from from a to to z really fast without notion of why uh where where a non a non dys dyslexic need needs that that journey to go from a to b from from c to d and and so so on so we are able to get there really fast without the need to write down down all those separate journeys and that that is something that many supervisors find really hard to get. Yes, I found that, and I'm just about to submit publication today of my first Ooh. paper, uh, which okay. you're high, you're Great. highly referenced in, I must say. Oh, lovely! <laughs> so it's uh, very exciting to talk to you, especially on a day where I'm about to submit my first ever paper. But it has been a yeah. real process because I'm not a process person. <laughs> yes. Yeah, they want. I mean, even writing for for a journal, it is there is a very set way that is alien to us, really. 
<laughs> yes, it is very alien. That's a good way of describing it. But your papers have been uh, fascinating to read and some of them, especially the ones around uh, relationships and dating, I've yeah. sent to my brother to help him, but also to <laughs> okay. my mum and my one of my other brothers is um, engaged to a dyslexic as well. So there's quite a few of us in the family. So I sent your papers to them because it really helped me to understand a bit more about myself and the way I communicate to my partner. Okay. And, you know, different, especially for us to better understand my dad um, mm. as well and the way that how we grew up and the way that he related to us growing up and then how he is in general. So I, I found your papers extremely useful as a fellow dyslexic. Do, have you had a lot of feedback around those papers and how they've helped people? That uh, so I get people sending me emails every month, a month or so, asking me for relationship ad, ad, ad advice. And my my wife perceives that <laughs> I'm the dys, dyslexic love guru. It's quite <laughs> fu funny, really. Yes, very good feedback to those papers and the main the main reason for them is is that uh most people will see dis dyslexia and obviously affecting learning uh and with with schools so they don't get that that leaving school they are not cured secured of it so the so the idea that they they're struggling within relationships through their shorter term memory or their and obviously avoidance of tasks of and obviously going out shop shopping i mean i will rely on a list for shop shopping because if i relied on my shorter term memory nothing and obviously would be bought so i rely on lists my wife uh, is uh, obviously ha happy with the shopping i buy <laughs> rather than just just going there and just coming back with the odd thing uh, because of memory and and also just be, being aware or make, making non non dyslexic part partners aware where that, that they are avoiding a lot lots of things like avoiding writing down or thinking their their short term memory is is really great but then then in real terms it isn't so it, it is rate, rating that and obviously awareness uh rating the awareness that they will forget birthdays your name some sometimes uh, by rung, rung up my my wife's work a place place once whilst uh, we were date, dating in in fact and engaged rang up her workplace and i forgot and obviously her name and they went you mean seven and seven? I went. Oh, great, thanks. So, so it is that just that, and I'm awareness that it can can affect uh, shopping, uh, just knowing someone's names, uh, prepping you before going out to a so social se setting. Just, just sometimes the the ra random thoughts, uh, the the random things said, uh, it, because we will make make strange links so so if you talk about a, a trunk a loading stuff stuff in the trunk of a car like like luggage uh i i will see a a tree a trunk or a and i'll see 
or a uh, elephant's nose uh, because I will make strange links. So, so in a in the so social set setting, cer certain um, strange links will will be made, and it is ra raising awareness within within non dis dyslexic parts just partners that th this is quite n normal for a dyslexic person and that was really uh, fascinating when I read that because my dad does that very often in social settings it's like he doesn't quite get the cues and he'll change yes. topic and so that yes. made a lot of sense as to why he he does those random things sometimes yeah um, yeah so it was really interesting to read but also how people uh, react when they're in a argument with their partner and how they shut down because they they can't communicate or they can't get the words out. Yeah, and um, yeah, that was really useful information for me to read from a for a personal level. Mm. I mean, my my wife when when she she talks talks to me, she will uh, she will obviously overload me. So so I would prefer say I'm I'm told off for things. Give it to me in one or two minutes because my my brain builds up within that. If it goes on for for fifteen or more minutes, I will get a lost within it. So it is similar in a and the classroom set setting. You a chunk. You you give a little bit input, allow that to be dealt with, and then and obviously give these second part. And that is the same thing within. And obviously, relationships. Say that you were telling someone to do things, give them it in a and obviously chunked away. The first it's done, okay. Second bit done, third bit. That's a very good advice. Thank you. And we will circulate your papers, have them up on our website as well, so people can read them because my networks have found them very, very useful. <laughs> yeah, I could I could spend all day talking to you about relationships, but I don't want to bore. <laughs> A listener is talking about my relationship issues. So, um, okay. there's a. I have um, spoken to you on LinkedIn, which you may not remember, and we were talking about um, the social model of health versus mm. the medical model, and how at the moment yeah. there's a move from the medical model to the social model for people that have disabilities, and whether you know people see dyslexia as a disability. Um, can you talk to me a little bit about that? Because in Australia, uh, you still need a label to get any help. So you, we're mm. kind of caught between this medical social model. How do you think we can, right. can move forward and not be so caught in between? Okay. I mean, is that the, the social, social model uh, has its uh, pluses, However, it is fairly old. It it was developed in 1972, I believe. It is it is like 40 or 50 years old, but it uh, has has brought with some fairly large changes within uh, the the workplace and and schools. It's it is allowing people to gain uh, far more access access to the workplace through use of software or wheelchair um, doors wide enough for wheelchairs so it is it's ch changing the just these physical side side of the of the world and the the workplace and and obviously in public built buildings however i've been for my and um phd and also for a new book 
book I'm writing now, it is at the theory of buyabilities. So it is it is going beyond it, and it is mainly for for those with uh, and obviously hidden uh, hidden and obviously difficulties or uh, hidden and obviously differences in your neck neck of the wood. Surname is Valias, V A L E R A S, and she she is talking about uh, the buyer abilities. You are either say that you you will work with your strengths. You are not perceived to be uh, disabled. So it 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 is to to that box. Uh, would you be disabled or not? You are so, somewhere between it. Uh, some days you are, some days you're you're not. So there should be this this third uh, box, which is by abilities. It 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 talks about p- passing, so the ability to um, avoid this uh, cl- closure for one's and obviously difficulties. But mm. it really is. I mean, the move move to the so- social mo- model is a good step for those with. Uh, vi- vis- visible needs, but it isn't quite. It isn't quite suitable for those without those and obviously hid- hidden uh, needs. Is the buyabilities model uh, moving yes. away from the neurodiversity model, or do you still think no. that people? So, is it a mixture of that, or? Yeah, it. it you see, the the neurodiversity is. The move towards it is it is showing that that there are strengths. So so we aren't one label or another. We are a, a mix, and those mix can they can bring and obviously strengths strengths to the world. So it, it really is pu- pushing the concept that there are me- many of our great divergent thinkers who who are able such benefits to the world like like the uh, chap the chap that uh, in who brought, brought us ikea or richard branson or james dyson these uh, steve uh, jobs all these amazing think- thinkers are not disabled they are abled and their strengths should be known and so so the idea is that we will u- use our strengths and our and the abilities to be re- really positive to what we can bring uh, to the world, and the and the so- social mo- model takes us part of the way there for those with vi- visual, vi- physical needs. So, um, I mean, your story is amazing because you talked about having depression when you were younger but then you found your strength and that seems to then that was your enabler finding your strength so how do we support children to reduce their risks of um, depression and to try and help them find their strengths at a young age because a lot of as you know a lot of people in the prison system are dyslexic and there's this spectrum of of abilities to uh, the opportunity to be able to find your strengths young to then help you carry mm. you through. I mean, so my uh, my last uh, my my last published book is 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 on the the successful dyslexics, and that that is a, a research project of tw- twenty 
uh, successful dys dyslexics compared to 15 less less uh, successful dyslexics. So it was uh, looking at common things, school-based talk trauma, but but also looking at at their keys for success. And one one of the the main keys was was to find your strengths and to find your abilities very young. So, so pa parents should be helping their children find find out what they are good at, whether it is drawing or painting or knitting or skateboarding, trading or or washing cars and, and run, running a a small bit business it's fi finding those those keys i mean the the chap the chap that wrote wrote the foreword to my to that book is a, a famous archaeologist uh, who 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 the character in in and i'm seeing jurassic uh, park was uh, based on and that uh, guy, early on, used to to go out and dig up the the fields, the fields around around where just where Emmonsy he lived to find fo fossils and and to find Emmonsy different things things there. So early on, find uh, your your child's passion, support them, and allow them to be really good at it, so that they are as as a good or a better than their uh, peers and their friends, so that they they're able to and obviously hold their their head high and say, "I'm good at something. It isn't all bad." That will help balance out all the negativity from their school school day. So so the key is or one key key is to find something they good good at, and the second key I will suggest is. And see, have, have a have one uh, adult who will really believe in in you, whether it's a parent or a grand grandparent or a uh, a friend or neighbor. You find someone who will be your MC champion, and that that is the way that you will stay positive. For me, I was able to find art, and that and that. Up was my uh, salvation, and that allowed me to find my career. And that, that is the uh, key I would pass on. That's a great message. Thank you. Because you know, I think if we don't start young um, yeah. and support parents, give them the skills yeah. to be able to support their children, then it can become a tricky path for us. To me, I see you as a real advocate for the way, changing the way people see dyslexia, particularly for young people and adults. Yeah. And your wife calls you the dyslexic love guru, which I think is just, <laughs> I think that's fantastic. <laughs> so um, do you see yourself as an advocate and a love guru or just an advocate or neither? <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, the love, love guru, no. No, I, I generally refer them to my uh, friend nearby, Penny Elmsey. Um, Ashton, who, who is who runs groups, mm. which is a dyslexic counselling service, just by dyslexic therapists, people who who are really good at fixing relationships. So to love love guru, no, to the advocate, I I would say I am 
passionate about it and i and i really want to push the these positive side side of things and rate raising awareness so so yes that just that late label i am obviously happy to be well, i think you've written enough papers to definitely classify you as an advocate and books <laughs> yeah well there were well, two two more coming out this year so that's Fantastic. good to see one of them is is looking at surviving school with a, a t- teenage dyslexic and a second one is a joint project uh, with with two other authors looking at uh, dys- dyslexia on entrepreneurship and also education so we are trying trying to push different things and my a new new project is 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 looking to find c- common ground with within other and um, difficulties hit, hidden and um, difficulties using the by the by abilities mo- model there's still so is more more work to be done yeah i think it's never ending <laughs> the yes. amount of work to be done so will your books be on audio will people be able to listen to them because that's one of the questions yes. in our community fantastic that they've, yes. they've found some dyslexic books that they really want to read and they can't and they haven't been on audio. So that will be great to let them know. Right. Okay. I mean, my, I've, I've written some, some no- novels too, and uh, all of them are on um, see Kindles. So they are, they are um, all, all audio books. And, that, and that's with the name of Alex Nile. Um, one is a thriller called The Dyslexic Virus. The second one is The Deceitful Dyslexic. So, so there are audio versions for those novels. Fantastic. We'll have those listed on our website as well. So you've, you've gone from art to being an author. So you've transitioned mm. your creativity in a way. Did you ever think you'd end yes. up writing books? Because that's quite a few you've written. 12 uh, books so so far well i i went went from from a artist uh to to someone that that works works in in the schools schools as a teacher and a author and also uh, with that i work with the uk government on on making sure that that new uh, tests are now dyslexic friendly but but yes the the i was at the idea of a person who went through school hating it now working within school schools every day is a crazy concept and i am still shocked by, by it however my job job is running a, a large team uh, su- supporting students who, who are struggling within schools so i i'm the kind of voice within school and that is good I, I think that is really good we don't um it would be a fantastic rewarding job though do you walk through the doors and get a bit of post-traumatic stress building up or a bit of anxiety uh, i should re- really however um, my own P- ptsd uh of of school comes comes from primary school seeing work just work being pinned up on a walls from a sick sickly uh floor cleaner uh used used when when i was young but now it is uh straight it is a really positive 
thing and now just walking in in to uh, schools and and just not knowing i'm there to make things be better it really sounds great i wish i'd had someone like you when i was at school <laughs> sure yeah <laughs> me me too yeah yeah <laughs> yes um, but we're changing the world one step at a time which is fantastic True, yes um is there anything you'd like to see change over the next five years particularly for young people and adults with dyslexia i think typing for for me uh something i will push push to to most uh most students who, who are struggling within school is the ability to to type their work. A laptop has been my own salvation, allowing me to, to check, uh, check spelling and to draft and to check grammar and it comes out in a perfect way. And I want more and more children or to young, young people to, to a type. We are still stuck in school in the Victorian era. Writing doesn't even re reflect the workplace they will go go to. So re really, most kids should type. They should be given a laptop, and that is their main uh, way way to do well well at a school. I I think. Is there anything else you would like to add before we wrap up? Um you're in Australia we don't get a lot of access to laptops but uh, in secondary school students do they all get a laptop right. uh, yeah. but I don't think they're allowed to use it for exams and things like that no um, we we are okay yeah I mean it's it I will test NMT students and we give them give give the majority of them 25 percent more time and they lap atop and say that, that they are severe we will give them a, a re reader or a obviously scribe but but no reading pens pens yeah. around uh so so they could could use that but without giving them um, a lap atop to a type we would be be bre breaking the disability the discrimination act yeah so we so we must give that and that is something parents should be pu pushing for i think if they've got um a formal diagnosis of dyslexia and they've had it within six months before they go into year 11 or 12 then they get that access but in, wow. in general students have um, access to a laptop i think in secondary school anyway and then i mean right. i think it varies to the level of accommodations that a student can access as they progress through uh, secondary school okay i mean for the uk there is no a need for a di diagnosis i will test them and say that, that they are slow slow with their writing speed or it isn't clear we will give a lap at top as a fairly norm, normal thing so maybe the um, the uk is far more advanced for for those with just with uh, learning difficulties. Mm, yes, definitely. We've still um, got a long way to go and we've got some amazing groups advocating to improve access within the school system in Australia, so we're very lucky. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we wrap up? It's been fascinating. I could spend yeah. all day talking to you, particularly about all your research. Uh, we oh, it's a pl pleasure. 
Thank you so much. And uh, hopefully we can have you on the show again. Yeah, sure. Why not? To find out more about Neil and his latest book, Surviving School as a Dyslexic Teenager, a guide for parents and their teenage children, head to deardyslexic.com. If you haven't already done so yet, make sure you sign up to our mailing list so you can keep up to date with everything we do at the foundation. Head to deardyslexic.com. And don't forget, if there is anything you have heard today that was distressing, please call Beyond Blue on 1300 22 46 36 or Lifeline on 13 11 14. Did you know we now have a new live Q&A series called Question Dis, D-Y-S, created during COVID to help our community feel more connected. Each month, I interview a fellow dyslexic about all things dyslexia and life. The Question Dis series is running through Facebook Live. I really hope you can come along and join us for one of these sessions. If there is a topic you would like discussed on the show, please email us, admin at dyslexic.com. Thanks for joining us. Bye for now.